Thank you for tuning in to the Movie Geeks United 40th Anniversary Celebration of John Carpenter's Assault on Precinct 13. For this episode, we've delved through the archives of our sibling show, Back by Midnight, to bring you this conversation with Mr. Austin Stoker, the lead actor in the film. Two years before making his splash with the iconic horror movie Halloween, genre technician John Carpenter made a low-budget actioner that combined Howard Hawks' Rio Bravo and George Romero's Night of the Living Dead, set in the urban jungle of Los Angeles. The movie was the grindhouse staple assault on Precinct 13, a lean and mean piece of filmmaking that showed economical direction and no bull ensemble acting can elevate any story to greatness. From its minimalist score to tough guy dialogue to beautifully timed bursts of violence, Assault on Precinct 13 is a model for any young filmmaker to follow if looking how to make a film on a budget. Getting his start with a guest spot on the TV show The Mod Squad, veteran character actor Austin Stoker has been a presence on TV and in the movies and on the stage for almost 40 years. His first major screen role was as McDonald in 1975's Battle for the Planet of the Apes. He would follow this up with roles in big budget fare like Airport 75 and exploitation classics like The Zebra Killer and Sheba Baby, where he played Pam Greer's sidekick, Brick Williams. As Lieutenant Ethan Bishop, the by-the-book officer who is put in charge of a band of criminals and office workers in Assault on Precinct 13, he holds the audience's attention by forcing us to come to him and try to figure out what he is going to do next. Working off of the late Darwin Jostin's funny, cool performance as Napoleon Wilson, Precinct 13 predated the 80s action movie trope of salt and pepper partnerships forged in mistrust only to lead to a grudging admiration. Since then, he's been in movies and TV shows as varied as Roots, Lou Grant, The Incredible Hulk, Arliss, The District, Sleeper Cell, Machete Joe. It is my pleasure to welcome veteran character actor Austin Stoker. Yes, Aaron. How are you doing, man? How are you doing, my brother? I'm doing fine. I'm fighting a cold here, so my voice oh. might be kind of shaky right now. Yeah. <laughs> I listen to that, great, that music from that movie, man. What's that movie? It's Seldom Precinct 13. I'd love to see that movie. <laughs> the music sounds so great. Yeah. As a musician and percussionist myself, <laughs> it sounds like great music for a pole dancer. <laughs> And I'm sure I'm sure it's been used every I'm sure it's been used uh, once or twice. Fantastic rhythm, man. That music is so great. But before we get to Precinct thirteen, yeah. what what uh, let's let's start a little earlier. What what drew you to acting in the beginning? I think maybe being an only child and play acting all the time and you know, growing up with a lot of good um, American and British movies, you know, being mm-hmm. raised in the Caribbean and Trinidad, you know, we were exposed mostly to a uh, British uh, fair, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, as a matter of fact, my first uh, thought about um, when, I, when I got old into my teenager was that I'd have to go to England to attend RADA or LAMBDA, right. London Academy of Music and Dramatic Arts. But I ended up in New York, and uh, <laughs> that was it, you know? 
So was I would there, say, I'm sorry, go ahead. Was there a movie or a movie or an actor when you were a kid that you that you latched onto early on? Were there, were well, there, there were something? several, you know, because uh, growing up in the Caribbean, you know, and and um, being exposed to that, uh, you know, besides sports, exposed mm-hmm. to the movies, all of us as kids, um, I don't know who else became an actor other than me. I'm probably the only one from Trinidad, but... But we uh, sort of emulated all those actors, from, you know, from John Wayne all the way, you know, up, up to Marlon Brando later on, and mm-hmm. Glenn Ford, and you know, James Cagney, you know, all of those um, American actors and right. gangster movies and the Tarzan movies, you know, and uh, swim, you know, growing up in an island, you you just you swim naturally, you're surrounded by water, you don't have a choice. <laughs> so we all learned to swim on our own, and we all we would imitate. You know Johnny Weissmiller and all that sort of stuff. I'd mm-hmm. imagine we'd being chased by crocodiles, <laughs> which you <laughs> would not. So I, it's hard to say any one particular, you know, actor. But as you get older and you mature, and you learn the craft, then you begin to, uh, you know, to uh, to make your choices. You know, like mm-hmm. I'm so amazed by the way Brando and all people like Marlon Brando and all of those who studied the method, right. which I myself did. And you see what the craft is all about, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think we really can point to a favorite until we get older, at least right. for me, anyway, you know. Well, and as I stated uh, uh, in my intro, um, if I'm not mistaken, if I have the timeline correctly, your first big big notice in a feature film was uh, the Planet of the uh, one of the Planet of the Apes films. I I don't remember the chronology. Was this the third or? Fourth Apes film. I, it I was. Even... It was the last of the series. There were five altogether. It was number yeah. five. Battle for the Planet of the Apes. And how did you? How did you get that role? How did that come about? Well, I uh, was sent by my agent to audition. You know, to read for a part on a Saturday morning at uh, 20th Century Fox Studio, and uh, that was it. I went there and did my audition, and uh, then I was told by the director to come back. In about forty-five minutes, and I was very clearly saying that. So don't hang around. Just you know, leave, go, get some coffee, and come back in forty-five minutes. So I, I wanted to be obedient, and I timed it on my watch, and I was back in exactly forty-five minutes. And the other actors who were there for the part, no one else was there. I was the only one that returned. So I thought, oh, something must be up. You know, what's going on? Right. And I went into the room and. And they said, uh, we'd like you to do the role of McDonald. <laughs> I said, oh, well, thank you. I would <laughs> like to do that. <laughs> that was it. And then the director made a remark. He said, your voice quality is quite similar to the actor whose brother you're playing, which was Harry Rhodes. Mm, right. Yeah, because he played uh, the, the um, lieutenant governor, I think, in the previous episode, and Mm-hmm. And uh, he died or was killed or whatever in the story, and his mm-hmm. surviving brother takes over, which was mm-hmm. the role I played. So that was it. That's you know that's how I ended up doing it. Well, I I got to ask uh, about a couple of titles, and that uh, I got to ask about Sheba Baby. Um, Sheba Baby. Sheba Baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, interestingly enough, you did not really get caught up, uh, amazingly <coughs> enough, in the uh, the uh, black exploitation. Craze. You, you no, I did it. not. You did not, and 
before we before I ask you about Shiba Baby, was was that by choice or is that just the way it turned out? Well, it was partly by choice uh, because uh, it's a kind of a of a snobbishness, for use of a better word, when you initially train in the theater, you right. know, as opposed to just you know training in uh, you know in, in film and you know taking camera technique and so on. When you train in in, in the theater, you know you, you're trained to use your vocal quality more and all that sort of thing. And, and the way mm-hmm. you present yourself on stage, because on stage it's like you're constantly in a master shot, you know, mm-hmm. if you can compare it to film. Uh, there are no close-ups or anything like that, except in the audience's mind. So when you come across a script that doesn't sort of align with, with, with what you've been trained to do, you feel that uh, it's not something that you can do. Right. So that was my take on it until I learned, hey, that's where the money is. <laughs> By then, also, by then the exploitation was over. <laughs> well, and also it was inter- I guess it was interesting. And I'm, I'm sure you knew this that a lot of great stage actors, African American stage actors, were doing these films. Uh, uh, I think, uh, I, and I can't believe I, I, I'm forgetting his name, but the the actor who played, you know, who did Blackula. Oh yes, uh, he was a very good friend of mine. Um, yes. Yeah, William Marshall. Right. I mean. Yeah. So and these were you know and 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 some of these other you know actors uh you know who who did theater but then mm-hmm. they were you know they would do you know you could say respectable theater you know high mm-hmm. end theater but then you know as you said the money was in the uh, the black exploitation stuff right um, well it wasn't so much it wasn't so much in the genre but it was in <laughs> it, it was in movies mm-hmm. you know in particular you know right in fact. Uh, when I did move to California from New York, it was through the urging of a friend of mine, a, a comedian, it was a friend of my wife and myself, uh, Kay Ballard, mm-hmm. who had moved out from New York to L.A. before us and said, you know, you got to come out here because, you know, in New York you only do theater. Here, if you want to do film and television, you got to come to California. Right. So that's why I came to California to do film and theater. And my mm-hmm. acting teacher in New York said, you're selling out. <laughs> I said goodbye. <laughs> well, and I gotta ask. So I gotta ask you about Sheba Baby because yes. you have one of the great. You know, there are there are a lot of great names in that genre of film, but you have a great one, Brick Williams. Brick Williams. <laughs> but so, so tell me about working with uh, with Pam Greer, who was you know a veteran of these films. Uh, you know. Pam Greer was a doll. I love Pam Greer. I haven't seen her since we did the film. Oh, really? But, you know, we, yeah, we got along great together. You know, she was, we were both very young at the time, you know, and <laughs> and uh, I, can, I, can say, I can say the experience that I have now, I didn't have then. I didn't know too much about film. Uh, you know, I was just learning. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would assume that she was also. <clears throat> that, excuse me, that's where we cut our teeth. But right. we were like two kids, you know. We were having a good time and, you know, just enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Doing what we were told, you know. Right. At, at that at that stage, I could almost do my own stunts. <laughs> Jumping <laughs> in the water. I used to be a, a soccer player and ran track anyway, so I was quite, you know, uh, agile. Jumping and, and over the, fences and stuff. The other, I guess the other film, and it's, I guess it's kind of funny that you were, you know, you were in the final installment of the Planet of the Apes series. But you were also in, I guess, the second installment in the uh, Airport series, uh, Airport 75. 
if I'm if I have my notes correct. Yeah, four seventy five. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That that was not connected to the uh, right. to the eighth film. Yeah. No, no, but in, in, you were in another, I guess you could say, movie series. You were. Uh, oh yes. Another... Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Yes. yes. Airport mm. seventy-five. Yes. And, the, and uh, was that an also just an audition that you went in on a, on a just went in on yeah. an audition? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Usually, you know, uh, I don't know how much. I don't think the business has changed that much. You still have to mm-hmm. go in and, and read. You know, uh, and sometimes you read for, the casting director, mm-hmm. who will then. This, you know, have you read for the uh, the next? You go the next step, then you would be reading for the director or the producer or you know or both, right. or the writer or all three. Freeze! This is the police. Drop your weapons and place your hands above your heads. On Saturday, six members of the gang known as Street Thunder were ambushed by the police. On Sunday, Cholo. the warlords of Street Thunder swore a blood oath to avenge their dead. For the gang called Street Thunder, it is a day of vengeance. It's war in the streets. Oh, Jesus, come on. Come on, I'll give you my money. Just don't hurt me, please. Please. It's terror in the night. It's the most shattering assault on a police station in history. Assault on Precinct 13. This is the siege. It's a goddamn siege. You're going to stay here and hold until somebody comes, okay? We're in the middle of a city, inside a police station. Does that mean? They're not afraid to die, any of them. They want to rip us apart, no matter what it costs. It means to the death. Precinct 13. Cut off, isolated in the middle of a city, as a human wave of street killers turns the night into a nightmare. We got a war going on down here. We can't find the damn thing. A white-hot night of hate. Assault on Precinct 13. So I guess let's get, we'll get into John Carpenter. Now. So how did the, that come about? Because this, if I understand correctly, this was not a quote-unquote, you know, a big. Obviously, this was not a studio film. So how did how yeah. did you hear about this script, and what was the casting process like on this film? On Assault. Yes, on Precinct Thirteen. Darwin, Darwin Justin, mm-hmm. the prisoner. Uh, we were friends, and we were in a, a actors' workshop together. And Darwin was a friend, or I think, or a neighbor of of John Carpenter's, and he was the one that told me about this film he's going to do, and I would be perfect for this particular role. And he would tell John Carpenter, and then John Carpenter realized, oh yes, uh, he had seen me in Assault, and he wanted to meet me. Mm-hmm. And we had lunch, and I had the job. Wow. <laughs> that was. <laughs> uh, I mean, Darwin made John aware of of me, you know, he or, or reminded him, so to speak, and. Mm-hmm. He called me and we had lunch, uh, and that was it. That's how I got it. And how how uh, how long was that shoot? I I, I imagine since it was a, uh, you know it was a movie on a budget, I imagine you know this wasn't an yeah. elaborate you know shooting day. You know I, I can't imagine this was only a few weeks maybe. Yeah, I don't know how long the whole thing was altogether. I mean, you know, I was not 
day, every, mm-hmm. every single day. But my part uh, was done in about three weeks, I think. You know. Oh, really? Yeah. So they probably had about I don't know five or six weeks altogether. I'm, you know, I'm totally mm-hmm. guessing. And, but like and I, said, I was you... not there. I was not there in the very beginning or the very end. Right. And I was, you know, I probably went in uh, like after they were in it mm-hmm. for about a week or two, and by the time I was finished, they had more stuff to shoot, and mm-hmm. I was done. And and so when you you know you got Carpenter you you all headlined and he gave you this role mm-hmm. and so when you read it what what did you do you think when when you read it or was it just a job for you or or did no. you see something special in this Well, uh, it becomes just a job after you've done it and you don't want to you know go to the theater and see it necessarily you've done the work right and it's, and it's done and you don't really become entertained by it you know. Which is, which is a terrible thing, you know, because uh, you usually enjoy the work of others more than you enjoy your own. You know right. what I don't know what kind of a syndrome that is, <laughs> but like most actors hate watching themselves on, on, right. on the screen or television, but you enjoy others. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, once you, you get the job, you're totally committed to it, 150%, mm-hmm. and then when it's over, it's done. You don't go back on it. So uh, during the working period, you know, you're there in the mm-hmm. moment, and you're doing it, and, and it's totally almost consuming. And that's how it, that's how it's approached. One of my favorite bits early on in the film is you, you've arrived at the precinct, and it's closing down, mm-hmm. and you're you're talking to the, to, to the head person in charge of the office. Um, mm-hmm. I forget. Um, Lee, but I forget the actress's name, uh, and um, she she offers you a, a couple Nancy of Nancy Loomis. Nancy Ma- Loomis. Oh, no, no, it was, yeah. no, it was uh, Laurie Zimmer. Yeah, Laurie Zimmer, uh-huh. and she offers you a, a cup of coffee, mm-hmm. and uh, and she I guess she's offering how you take it, and mm-hmm. she says black, and you say uh, mm-hmm. for almost thirty years. Almost thirty years. <laughs> now I gotta ask, uh, was that in the script or was that an was that an ad lib? That was in a script. That was in a script. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess that was Ethan Bishop's silly sense of humor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how I, I took it, you know. Yeah. Well, it's a great line. It's, yeah. a great, it's a great icebreaker. Mm-hmm. And I've always wondered if that was, a, 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 like I said, an ad lib or something in the script. No, it was in the script, yeah. Uh, I think the line that was my favorite line that made me laugh a hell of a lot was um, Tony Burton's li- line, Tony Burton. Right. When he's about to leave and go down into the into the manhole to escape and help the rest of us. And he's about to leave and he says, nobody going to wish me luck? And Laurie Zimmer and I, in unison, say, <laughs> good luck. And he says, look at that. Two cops wishing me luck. I'm doomed. <laughs> that used to crack me up. Mm-hmm. It was all I could do not to laugh while they were shooting. Two cops wishing me luck. I'm doomed. <laughs> and and how 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 was I mean either a lot of your stuff most of your stuff is at night. So I guess it was <laughs> night shoots. And so and how was Carpenter as a director? This was his second film, mm-hmm. and this was even you know, and like I said at, at the top, this was before quote unquote you know Halloween where he really yeah. really became a you know a name filmmaker. So so how mm-hmm. was you know being directed by did did. Did it make a difference to you if you were directed by a, a, a veteran director or, or someone relatively new? No, not really. 
that's, uh, you know, actors don't usually think that way. The minute you go in, mm-hmm. you know, you already, in your mind, you agree to the situation. Mm-hmm. This is your director, whether he's, mm-hmm. you know, somebody who's, whether it's Steven Spielberg or not. Right. This is the director. He's the boss on the set, and you're there to, uh, you know, to uh, to do what uh, what is called for mm-hmm. uh, by your character in the way it's written. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would say that you know, first of all, he's an absolute joy to work with. You know, I haven't seen him in years, um, and he uh, I remember mostly about him that he always kept his cool, a cool head. You know, he focused on the work and uh, you know had no sort of anxieties that showed about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's certain hardships that may exist in making a feature motion picture on an independent basis, but uh, it was always approachable if you needed something explained or any other form of help, you know. Right. And um, <clears throat> I appreciate it because it's not always so easy to get he was a writer, and he understood the material better than anyone else. Mm-hmm. He was always open to discussing any ideas, you know. Because mm-hmm. I, I remember uh, that very last shot when I had to shoot and blow up the uh, the thing up on the wall there. Mm-hmm. Um, we did about three or four takes, and he said to me, Austin, I don't know what it is you're doing, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and this was kind of uh, one of the, the, the pluses of, you could say, grindhouse cinema, exploitation cinema, Mm-hmm. And that the fact that you were the hero and Darren Austin was the quote unquote the bad guy to a certain extent, right? Uh, or the anti-hero to a certain extent, and the fact that in a big studio film, you you know, one would assume that uh, an African American would not be the hero. He if he was going to be in the film, he would be the in the Darren Austin role, kind of the heavy mm-hmm. role. Right. But uh, this was kind of a, an interesting thing. In exploitation cinema, that that you were the hero, and 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 Darren Gostin was kind of the the kind of amoral character, if you will. Mm. Well, and they did switch that in the remake, didn't they? Yeah, they they they, <laughs> they went more uh, conventional. So I, I was did, wondering, did you tip time, them off? Did you tip them off, Aaron? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, so I was well, you know, we can bring that in here, and I was yeah. wondering if at the time, where where did did that uh, even? Without a thought that crossed your mind, like, wow, I'm actually the the, no. the hero. No. No? It never, no, it never occurred to either Darwin or myself that way. And like I said, you know, Darwin and I were friends. You know, we were, mm-hmm. we, were we were buddies. Yeah. We happened to be, you know, we saw each other almost because the workshop met on Monday evenings, mm-hmm. like from uh, 7, 7 to 10, you know, and then we hang out. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with L.A., but there's a, a very well-known uh a restaurant called Jerry's Deli. Right, right. You know, in, in Studio City. It was right above Jerry's Deli. It's still there. Mm-hmm. The workshop is still there. And we would hang out downstairs at the bar or the restaurant, all of us. And so, you know, we were friends. Mm-hmm. So there was none of that. He he got me the part anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, so we never thought of that. Uh, right. Supported each other. and mm-hmm. It was just a joy to work like that, you know. Mm-hmm. And... Um, <clears throat> You know, when you when you're working, uh, I think one reason why we get hooked on being actors is that you can lose yourself into this 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 situation that you enjoy, and once you're doing it, you don't you're not thinking of that. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you know. Uh, I remember once being asked about in uh, the Apes film, 
how did I feel about the way uh, it was written in some people's writings, the fact that the, uh, the Planet of the Apes was sort of a commentary on human, you know, the humans relate to each other and and uh, the different positions in life between the uh, the brown uh, uh, apes, <clears throat> the orangutans being the intelligentsia, and the black ones being the militants. And we said, well, no, we that doesn't occur to us when we're acting. <laughs> you know, right. when somebody asks you, you, you're thinking of it for the, for the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't become so you know intellectual about it. Mm-hmm. And so the same with even with the Salt and Precinct Thirteen, we don't intellectualize because it takes away from the ability to act. Right. Obviously, I, or I assume that there is no big, you know, premiere for Assault on Precinct Thirteen. So I'm curious when, when in, in '76 when the movie was starting to play in theaters here and there, did, did you? Uh, did you go see it, and what did you think when when you saw it? No, I I never saw it at that time. See, that movie, uh, let, let us assume there hasn't been a remake. The first is being made for the first time today. There'd mm-hmm. be a, ooh, a great to-do about it, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. It'd probably be a red carpet uh, premiere and a whole bit. But back right. then, you know, it, there wasn't so much of that, you know. I mean, just think about it. Back then, there was no such thing as a DVD and all that stuff, and Blu-ray, right. <laughs> and HD, and, and so all that when stuff. So when was the first time that uh, you saw it? Do you remember? Uh, the first time I saw it was, uh, uh, <clears throat> there's a theater in downtown L.A. on Spring Street, the very busy area there. It reminds me, of, if you're familiar with New York, the way 42nd Street used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and two friends of mine, um, one is a performer, singer, and, and the other one was a, like a sort of a producer, music producer. Uh, they wanted to see the film, wanted me to go with them. And I thought, gee, you know, I hate going out and, you know, I don't want people to recognize me making a fuss and ask me for autographs. And this is when the film first came out. So we went that night to see, <laughs> to see, the, to see the movie, and I thought I would disguise myself as wearing a cap, you know, with a peak and everything, <laughs> and sunglasses. It was in the evening. And we had to walk in about maybe uh, about maybe 30 to 40 yards from the sidewalk past the box office to the entrance into the theater. And as we walked up, one of the ushers was standing there that works, you know, in, uh, works in the theater. And we walk in by, and the guy just kind of glanced at me and says, you're very good in that movie, Mr. Stoker. <laughs> and we all three laughed because I thought, here I am, I'm not going to be recognized. And the guy, you know, I guess he was watching the movie all week. Right. He saw me right away. So that's what I'm talking about. Right. <laughs> and uh, when did you re- uh, when were you, when did you become aware that it was becoming that it that it had a uh, a following, if you will? Because you, you're right. When it came out in '76. And it wasn't a, a studio film, so it you know it moved around from theater to theater over maybe over a year or even two years, and then mm-hmm. and then once it was done, you know, uh, you know because it wasn't a studio film, it, it I don't think it came on TV a lot. It was yeah. one of those films, you know, you 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 see it maybe every once in a while, at two in the morning, mm-hmm. and I guess it wasn't. So when, when did you become aware that you know this film you'd done, you know, now going thirty some odd years ago? 
you know, it was starting to somehow people were starting to find out about it. I would say like in, about maybe uh, five years ago, started wow. realizing that it was very, very popular, you know, and then uh, people began, you know, to recognize me from it after all those years, and, and it just wouldn't go away. Mm-hmm. Wow. And uh, they did the remake, and, uh, you know, uh, I was invited to a screening of the remake, and then I saw it and everything, and I even got uh, Larry Fishburne even mentioned in a couple of his TV interviews that, that the character he was playing was my character's name in the original. Right. So they were still kind of relating to it, you know. Mm-hmm. But it took over all those years. It just kept it just kept alive. Right. So it was that many years after that I, I realized yeah. how popular it was, you know, to this day. Right. <clears throat> yeah. And when, when when you did see it, I mean, because obviously, you know, a lot of what Carpenter, a lot of the, the finesse of the film, what makes the film so endearing is, I guess you could say, comes from Carpen, John Carpenter's post-production, be it yeah. the editing of the of the of the action scenes and like I, like we played earlier, the score and and all that stuff. And so when when you when you saw it and uh, you saw what he had done, did did you were you surprised and thrilled or excited at that? You know, despite you know, even though you you were in the film, you know, mm-hmm. able to see the rest of it and see, wow, this actually does, this is pretty good work. Oh yes, uh, the thing is that's the bad thing because when you see that, you see things that you could have done differently that may have been may have been better mm-hmm. if you did it differently. You know, and there were there were a couple of moments that I saw that I said, damn, I wish, you know, we could have done that a couple more takes. I could see things that. That could have worked even better. Right. You know, that that's the bad part. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, because you know, you know, don't have a big budget. You can't afford to do you know, fifteen and sixteen and twenty-five takes. <laughs> right. Right. You know, three or four is enough. Uh, <laughs> I mean, if it works, leave it alone. You know. 